Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Sad to see Bo Pelini getting the axe at LSU after just one season. But the good news is Congress appears to be voting in favor of a second stimulus package, so he should be getting an extra 300 a week to help tide him over until he gets the new gig. Is that 300000 a week, Honk? Well, I think LSU fills in the rest, yeah, but uh, at least Congress is, will give him the first 300 I see. I see. That's nice. Also with Boomer. Well, I'd just like to say I know we've had a couple of uh, down shows this season, but uh, luckily the uh, College Football Podcast Committee still has us uh, at least three spots higher than the leading Cincinnati podcast, uh, thanks to the ear test, so we're still here for you. Looking good. <laughs> That's right. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Uh, we're going to talk about a Husker victory, third one this year. What? Yeah, no, I know. It's great. No, we enjoy this show so much. Uh, anyway... <laughs> No, Dave, that's all I got, really. <laughs> it's good enough, Mac. Uh, and a win is good enough as well, right, guys? We did enjoy a victory in New Jersey in a cold, frigid night there in the shadows of New York City as the Huskers took down the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers 28-21, a very odd game where we ran up uh, over 600 yards of offense and thanks to four turnovers and horrendous special teams play, it came down to um, a, a seven-minute a game-killing drive that we executed quite well, actually, and um, a, a choice that to not go to the bowl. So, Honky, uh, initial thoughts on the, the Rutgers victory and the decision on staying home for the holidays? Well, I think we saw what this offense can look like uh, when we actually have a bell cow. And Mills going out there, 25 carries, 191 yards, that's a, a great sign. Art director Swobes, she created a graphic uh, for us that we posted over the weekend, and it had each of our nine games, the eight that we played, and the canceled one with Wisconsin, and it showed our yards per game with each of them. You know, we proved, what we proved this year is that we can win by seven points, being out yarded 501 to 298, which happened against Penn State, and we will win 30 to 23, or we can out yard a team like Rutgers 620 to 252, and we win by seven points, 28 to 21. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> so, you know, look, is there progress? Yeah, we're going to talk about some special teams things. Culp getting, you know, the first team uh, kicker. I mean, that's incredible progress from a year ago. There's other areas, and special teams would be top of that, too, where uh, we didn't make some of the progress. And Boomer, I'm, I'm sure special teams coordinator will talk about that. But defensively, what a performance, 252 yards to 130 rushing yards on 30 carries. Uh, they showed up time and time again in times of adversity, so very impressed there. And I think what it does, and Dave, this is how it's been all year, it leads us to a, a mess of really positive and negatives all at the same time, and those are the things that need to be fixed over this offseason. We need to learn to play clean football. Um, that's the challenge of this offseason, an offseason that did start a little earlier than maybe some people wanted by sitting home the bowl game. But I'll tell you what, I have no issue with it. This has been a long season for these guys. They have... They've done everything right since March, 
They've been on mm-hmm. call since March, and I think that they've deserved this break, and I have no issue with them getting it. Mac, uh, thoughts on that? They're never going to get the credit for all the things they did right this year because of our record, but it goes. it's worth pointing out that Nebraska never had any COVID issues, no widespread breakout whatsoever, and that's a complete testament to the staff and these yep. players doing the right things and forsaking a lot of things that a lot of college kids have the privilege privilege of doing, and not just college, other college students, but other college athletes that were doing it in other schools, clearly, that they were having the outbreaks at. So, mm-hmm. you know, Frost spoke about it. Maybe if he'd have known how this season was going to go in terms of when they would actually start, he wouldn't have brought them back so early. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I'm not going to fault these kids for the effort they've put out this year. And, and you know, I know a lot of people are going to say, you know, if you, you fought so hard to play, how can you turn it down? Well, it's not so black and white. I mean, yeah. there's people involved here. There's families involved here. There's a pandemic involved here. You know, get off your high horse. It's so ridiculous to start. You know, like well, all, the, nothing... all these, yeah, all these people who are doing push-ups on the, you know, <laughs> while they're watching games, right? Like, n- stop acting yeah. like you put any work in. Because nothing else has been different about this season. Dave, you've been trying to put together a bowl pick them, and how's that going? As teams are dropping out left and right, this is just a normal, average year, right? And we just chose not to play in a bowl. Well, I am in first place in that bowl pick em, so I'm doing all right. But yeah, I hear what you're saying, Hunk. I mean, it just it, that's ridiculous. And, and the idea that we're not serious about football all of a sudden in December mm-hmm. when they've been serious about football, it's just it's a fatigue thing. And I think as a podcast, we're a bit fatigued. As a fan base, I think Lord we're fatigued. Knows. To give these young men a break now, let them go and see their family. I think Martina said he hadn't seen his family in person since March. And to let them go home for the holidays – I'm happy for yeah. him. And we never had to cancel a game throughout the regular season yep. because of our COVID issues. We took it serious. You know, when people are pointing out how Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern are all trying to play. Well, Wisconsin certainly had to cancel a couple because they couldn't, you know, maintain homeostasis. You know, so I, I'm not going to hear or feel that argument very seriously. I just, I don't see that as being our problem this year. It's a super, super weird year. And we took our lumps. And people are like, well, national media is going to make fun of us. Well, what's new? I'm like, oh, what? I'm like, who's not callous to that by now? Who cares? Either they're on our side telling us how good we're going to be two years ago and then wrong, or they're telling us that we don't have any business playing football this year and wrong. Listen, this is how it is being a Husker fan right now. And, and all that matters is the team that we put on the field and the fans that support them. And I think this is a time you support that team. It's, it's not always roses with, man, it just hasn't been roses for a while. You know, and I'm looking forward to changing that. And I think it's time to to turn the page from 2020 in football. So uh, maybe I'll bring Boomer here in on this. We're going to have a, a season here in 2021 that's going to have has some challenges to it as well, right? I mean, we are going to lose a game at some point in 2021, is my guess, Boomer. And when that that loss happens. We'll talk about um, how we need to maybe execute better or we need to practice differently or whatever. And people are going to look back at this and say, like, well, you had a chance to to practice more at the end of 2020 and, and you chose not to. Right. I mean, there is is some some questions about should they have at least thought about getting more snaps in. I mean, there's a chance here to have someone like Turner Corcoran play another 75 snaps, right? And we're not going to get those opportunities. Is there anything lost here or or is Mac and, and Hockey on the right page? I mean, I guess theoretically, you know, there was that possibility for more practices to be had. But again, 
with everything being in the air the way it was, how many practices were we really talking about? You know, some of the projections we saw were putting Nebraska in, uh, oh gosh, what bowl was it on the 26th? Uh, we'll just call it the Dollar General Poulon Weed Eater Gasparilla Bowl or whatever it is on the 26th. Purell Hand Sanitizer Bowl, I believe. Yeah, something like that. So that's that's in a week, you know, less than a week, and you'd have the Christmas Day in there. How many realistic practices are you going to get? Three, maybe? Trying to turn something around that fast before you have to turn around, travel. Yep, that's right. Get down there, play a game, which, heck, the way half these bowl games are going might get canceled anyway. You know, how much prep can you really do at this point? Yeah, it'd be nice if this were a normal situation like Honky alluded to. You would want those practices, but this hasn't been a normal year. These guys have been focusing on this for so long, and you can kind of get to that point where maybe you're, you're sharpening a team you know, to too fine an edge where they've just been concentrating on football since March. And I think at some point they do need a break. You have to remember these are, you know, still young men. You know, they have lives that they need to attend to as well. You know, Scott Frost has had, you know, family issues this year, you know, with his father passing. I don't know if he's had a fair chance to, to mourn any of that yet. Just like everybody else in the world, you need time away. You need some time to recharge. And I think that probably is just as beneficial as, you know, a handful of practices would be at this point. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, that's fair, Boomer. And I think the Frost thoughts there about his family are an important idea. The only thing that really came to my mind um, was some of these uh, seniors or potentially seniors, we don't really know about who will come back or not come back, sitting there on their couch with their families uh, come uh, December 30th or, or New Year's Day watching Iowa and Wisconsin and Northwestern and Ohio State ultimately play and, and thinking, boy, that I, I played my last game. You know, um, and and I, I voted. I didn't want to play any longer. You know, I don't. I don't know how that played out, Honky, with the vote, but I could see that as being the potentially a little bit of regret by some players once everything kind of soaks in. Yeah. Well, and as you can imagine, with a group of a hundred guys to begin with, nothing's unanimous. Well, it, exactly. And there, so I know that they're unless you're in Minnesota. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't a unanimous vote to not play, but for what it's worth, that the vote was not to. You know, yeah, having said that, welcome to America in 2020. Yeah. Well, we re- we received a question in our mailbag, and uh, Salvasta asked, are we upset that we didn't play? And he said, I honestly think it's the right call. Go out on a high note, and the usual bowl game wouldn't have had the same, wouldn't have felt the same way anyways, not as many practices and the events around the bowl. And you think about it, I think it was Iowa, that I saw a couple of things. One thing saying that they were going to fly out to Nashville the day before the game for financial reasons, fly out there, play it, and then fly back. So, again, you're not getting near the pageantry of the bowl. But then today, you know, at least it was announced that Iowa had to pause because of COVID. And again, it just, there's no right or wrong answers Lack here. Lack of discipline. <laughs> there's no right or wrong answers here. It's just, you do what you do at this time. And I think in Nebraska's case, there's just a fatigue of the season. Another question that we had to maybe transition away from the bowl talk. And another one from our mailbag came from Husker Nut. And this starts to get into our offseason, since it has started now. And he asked about what coaching changes, if any, do you see happening this offseason? And this is where the rumor mill starts to go crazy. I've heard numbers of, you know, over under two and a half coaches, and some of those might be forced out, or would it be people that would just choose to leave? Dave, I'll start with you on this. Uh, you don't have to give me a number. That's not what I'm asking for. This isn't the betcast here. But <laughs> just from a... Kind of, what's your perception right now? Do you think that we make it through an off season where where no changes are made, or is this you know does that seem unlikely just because of the way college football is? Where are you at right now with with how the coaching staff is and what you think you're going to see as we get into spring ball? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it's unlikely. That's just the way it is at this point, um, especially when you go three and five, which I guess in a regular season might be a five and seven or six and six type team. I don't know. Um, you, you can see some turnover. And I, I think you have to look at how you want to correct some of the reoccurring issues on the field with a different coaching approach. And that may require a dedicated special teams coach, right? Uh, Boomer, maybe you want to jump in on this, but uh, to make that happen, we might need to rearrange some seats in that room. We talked last show about maybe um, Verdusco moving over to a consultant role and somehow finding whether it's Lubick who can take over that QB room, something like that, and creating an opportunity for a special teams coach. So I, I definitely see some some changes. I'm concerned if it's above two on the, the over-under honk, because that may mm. mean uh, we might be losing someone that we really like, whether that's a Greg Austin or a Travis Fisher, et cetera. So. Mm-hmm. Now, Boomer, to that point about special teams, how important is it to you to see a full-time dedicated coach that only does that? Or do you think this, if some changes were made, that that could get back to being part of someone else's duty? We've seen it both ways. We've seen the Bruce Reed, and we've seen – Javon DeWitt, where we had it just as a part of someone's duty. I guess, you know, from your perspective, how do you see that need to be done moving forward? Well, either approach works if you have a guy that actually shows up to the job every day and just doesn't go out golfing like Bruce Reed does. I mean, you know, that's obviously going to be a failure if they're not there. Kind of where we're at now, we just have that special teams analyst, uh, you know, so that kind of limits the interaction he can have. So I, I'm torn just how effective that's been. I mean, we did see an improvement this year in the the field goal kicking game. I mean, Culp's been a rousing success in that, you know, first team, you know, big 10 on that. So definitely that's been a huge step up. We can count on kicking field goals and extra points. What did he miss? One or two this year? I think two, two field goals goals this year is about it. So that's, that's been a huge help and a big thing to the game. But the other avenues of special teams have just been pretty lousy for the most part this year. We are actually uh, dead last in the Big Ten in terms of uh, net uh, yardage on kickoffs. Yeah. And we're uh, second to last in net punting. And we saw in this last game with Rutgers just how important, you know, turnovers and special teams are in a game. We can rack up 600-some-odd yards, but if you're not winning a field position battle and you're letting them return kickoffs for a touchdown and their punter was some sort of you know australian kicker created in a lab somewhere mixed with a kangaroo (laughs) that guy was awesome i mean that's one of the best punters i've seen in a long time you see how huge of an impact that can have on a game i mean rutgers was offensively outclassed in that game they were gassed they'd played what nine straight weeks of conference games you know i kind of want to give rutgers props you know they were one of those teams early on in the year when thought didn't want to play but they were able to put an entire season together and not have any outbreaks too so good job Uh there rutgers i I don't say that often but uh Good work there. But, yeah, just special teams can just completely flip games. And Rutgers was an example of it. Luckily, our defense was able to keep them from scoring and you know when they had the opportunities. But, uh, yeah, we need a better focus on that. And whether it is finding a full-time coach who just does that or, you know, maybe Frost should take a bigger role in it. That's an interesting way to look at it with, with Frost, too. Obviously, you know, there's talk about should an offensive coordinator, should Lubick become the true OC and take that away from Frost? Mm-hmm. Well, then Frost could be the CEO or maybe the special teams guy that, like we see so many other head coaches take over. I'm not so sure I'm going to, we're going to see that, mm-hmm. but, you know, Mac, 
I don't think that we look at anything on the defensive side and think that we envision any changes happening. And so any of the direction of people talking about coaches leaving, it tends to happen on the offensive side. Do you see any specific area need that you see a change is necessary? Or can we just move some people around? The way Dave has talked about with move reduce go over to a consultant. Let's envision that scenario for a second. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, this is hypothetical. So he moves over into a consultant role. He's helping out. Where do you start to move guys around? As you guys were talking about this, I was thinking about – I was actually thinking about last year's team and what coaches' position groups were underperforming. And last year it was wide receivers and it was outside linebackers and still special teams. Mm-hmm. And all those coaching issues were addressed. And I look at this year's team and like it or not, it's the quarterbacks – running backs, and it's still the special teams. You know, so one of those areas didn't get addressed at all, and two areas got worse than the year Mm -hmm. before. Now, there's a variety of reasons maybe for the running back position to get worse. And when you're talking about the running back position, you're talking about Ryan Held, and he's so valuable in terms of recruiting and everything. That that kind of takes him off the table for me, plus injuries played a role there in this year. So if Verduzco does, his name comes up. It has to, and this isn't a personal attack. It's just a – it's a bottom line business. Yeah, and the Matt, you've chatted with him yeah. for 30 minutes on a coach's clinic. I, 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 I love I, the guy. You know, we got, on this show, we want everybody to succeed. But we can't deny when things aren't going well. And there's a lot that he still has to offer. So to shift him over to an analyst position, which, you know, if, if I have a read on the way he handles that position group anyway, it feels almost like an analyst position. When in it, whenever he gets asked questions about the offense or the game plan or anything like that, he always is like, I don't really pay attention to that. I'm watching my guys. I'm watching this. He knows where his quarterback's eye should be, where their feet should mm-hmm. be, how this, the biomechanics of the throwing motion. So it wouldn't even be that big of a stretch to move him to an analyst role. So who then who takes over the quarterback role? Well, why not Frost? I mean, like if, if he's being the offensive coordinator anyway, and then he can be the quarterback's coach at the same time. I mean, hell, he's running zone reads with him. He'll run the option with him. He's always throwing passes with him. He's with the quarterbacks all the time anyway. Does that then give you the ability to address something like these special teams with an actual dedicated or semi-dedicated position coach to do that? But, I mean, there's, there's potential. I think Frost could easily be the quarterback's coach slash offensive coordinator well, it, especially since you still have Lubick being a co-offensive coordinator too, yeah, the we, wide receiver. We group. talked about that a week ago, and I mean Osborne, for what it's worth, that's what he did all the way up until Turner Gill got here as a dedicated quarterbacks coach. My preference, if we went down this route again, hypothetically, if that quarterback position came open, I would move Lubick into it. I would have him be the offensive coordinator slash QB coach, and his wide receivers position that he's coaching right now, I would move Held into that. Held played wide receiver here. He's been a head coach at JUCO. He's coached every position. I mean, he can coach it just as well as he could coach running back. Because to the point you said, too, about Held, I mean, he brings a whole different level right. when it comes to the recruiting coordinator standpoint. And it's that running back spot. If there was a, a, a coach that we could get, and I don't know who this is. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. Somebody that has maybe played that position at the pro level, but somebody that also maybe brings you a very specific kind of recruiting area imagine someone who was in a st louis in kansas city and really could bring us something that we maybe don't have right now again i don't have a name i'll even throw out a different name which is totally out there but imagine someone like a damon benning former player running back someone that is omaha metro knows the recruiting and the high school scene has done high school coaching imagine someone like that as omaha is becoming bigger and bigger player in our recruiting classes over the next two three four years we're talking you know, where four and five guys are coming out of the top 100, top 250 mm-hmm. in the country. And they're just imagine how important just recruiting Metro is going to be in the next few years. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing out scenarios if the dominoes started to fall. However, the shuffling needs to happen. Special teams can't be bad again next year. That yes. needs to be addressed. And 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 we've tried now with the analyst route, and we tried now with the outside linebackers coach doing it the year prior, and neither of those things are working. The place kicking got better. That's really not a coordinated yeah, thing. That's yeah. just a guy being better at kicking field goals. You know, he, the, 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 when it comes to scheme. I was just going to say, I took a look at a couple of the teams in the West to see who has, like, dedicated special teams uh, coordinators. Iowa, Northwestern, and Wisconsin all have coaches specifically dedicated to special teams. And they're three of the best teams consistently in the Big Ten when it comes to, you know, net kickoffs, net punting, and things like that. So maybe there is something to be said for having someone, hmm. you know, in, in that kind of role. I don't know how you have to divvy that out, but it needs to be a full court press yeah. in terms of getting the special teams fixed. And schematically, we were garbage this year. Every kickoff's an adventure. And, I mean, if, if it's as simple as fixing it by finding a guy that can kick it out of the end zone, that's not really fixing it. Either. Yeah. That's still just addressing it with one guy who can kick it too far. And, and it should be noted that I think as Husker fans, we have Bruce Reed burned into our head. And you know, that was not a great example. <laughs> Wait a minute. Bob Diaco. No, seriously. Stop it, stop. Bob Diaco's the best punt kicker we've ever had. Mike, but you know this. He's is been true. one of the better ones lately. And he's okay. he's available. Okay. He is but, available. But but when we're talking about special teams, the thing to think about with Bruce Reed was he was here at a time when you had one less assistant coach. You know, the NCAA has granted that tenth assistant coach since then. Maybe it does make sense to actually have a full time dedicated one in addition to your nine other coaches. Sure. I mean, how did, how did Osborne do it? Well, you had Dan Young was coaching kickers, and then they would divvy up individual. You know, somebody would be doing punt team, someone would be doing punt return, all that. That's that's how you divvy it up. But to the point of like Ryan Held, you can have a coordinator position on top of a position. Right. You know, there are coordinators, offensive coordinators that would coach specific groups, or defensive coordinators that would coach specific groups too. Uh, I think McBride was like the D line coach a number of years while he was also a coordinator. So you can double up on that. You know, whatever. At the end of the day, we just need to see better performance. You Way can't have better. fake punts go against you multiple times. You can't have crankshaft returning another kickoff <laughs> or whatever his name is. I mean, how many years in a row do we have to see that happen? We just can't. You can't have, have that. a guy just run down the field because he knows we're not going to come. Like we got burned by that twice <laughs> by just a by a punter just sort of paying attention. <laughs> like that's ridiculous, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's right, Mac. When when it's our turn to do that. With Lightborn, he just he just takes off for no good reason. And and when we return kickoffs, we run right into the back of a blocker. When other teams do it, they seem to be able to run one straight line all the way to the end zone. It's maddening. And it's been this has been too many years in a row. Like last year we said, Man, if we just had a good kicker, that'd be worth three more wins. Well it's not. <laughs> it's not exactly worth three more wins. There's more to it. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. All right, Honk. We're, we're talking all things Husker football here, and I think you're going to sprinkle in some mailbag. Do you have a question to open up? Yeah, I thought, Dave, maybe before we got into the offense and the defense, this is kind of a good just general one. And, of course, it comes from Vegas Jer. He's been very vocal on the Redcast and the, uh, the Betcast throughout the year. And he asked, what is the Redcast most excited and most scared about going into 2020? Boomer, I'm going to start with you on this. You know, what areas are you, you know, you feel the most confident in and what areas are you still kind of feeling a little bit queasy about as we go into the offseason? Like queasy. <laughs> well, I mean, if Connor Culp comes back, you know, which it sounds like he is, that's definitely a plus. You know, when you have that accurate field goal kicker, you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing to have in your back pocket. Uh, concerns, 
one is personnel based, one is just kind of overall based. One, the personnel one is, uh, does Deadring Mills come back next year? If he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, that room is pretty thin. There's just not a whole lot there. We saw that difference in that Rutgers game, which is kind of what we expected him to do all year, but we just didn't see him, whether it was injuries or whatever was going on behind the scenes. I don't know if we ever got a full answer on that, but we saw him there. We saw what the addition of him to that team means, and we're putting up 600-some yards on, on Big Ten foes at that point. You hope that running back position works itself out, or if he does come back, does Frost commit himself to that? You know, I don't want to see one of those Mike Riley kind of things where we run all over somebody in a bowl game, and he says we're going to make that switch, and then we just go back to whatever we were doing beforehand. You know, that that's a concern. And I guess the other concern with next year, and it's just typical football stuff, it is a tough schedule. Uh, you, you open in Ireland against a Brett Bielema team. Who knows what that's going to be? You've got Buffalo, who's good, and then Oklahoma. And then crossovers with Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. Thanks again, Big Ten. So it's it's going to be a challenging year. Yeah, how about you, Div? Yeah, no, it's a really good question, Vegas Jer. Uh, this is a tough one. I'm 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 with Boomer. I I guess I would say with most most confidence, I feel like the defensive line and maybe the the front seven in general of the defense. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about quite a bit of depth there on the defensive line. We saw a lot of young players um, really start to. To show themselves, I think you got to feel better about the linebacker position overall, even though we're going to definitely lose Colin Miller, likely lose Honus. But um, Nick Heinrich looked really good out there again. I'm, maybe he's an inside linebacker, guys. I think he had 24 tackles in his last two games uh, filling in that role with Colin Miller out. So that that's what I feel good about is, is, is the defensive front seven, I guess. Uh, question marks for me are all over the place, right? I mean, I, I mean, we potentially lose Boodle, and I have no idea about CTB if if Taylor Britt comes back or not. He might have an NFL opportunity that he might might take. Um, so you may have some inexperience in that secondary. Offensively, I have no idea if Mills is not back where we're going to get running back production. Um, I, it seems like we have the exact same quarterback situation we have right now next year and i don't know what that looks like because mac until we came back in the second half uh, you were pretty unhappy with adrian's performance right i mean the the turnovers were extremely frustrating so i don't know where the production is coming out with the wide receiver position quite yet i like some opportunities there but i haven't seen anything i, I guess i'm pretty optimistic about the tight ends I'll, I'll throw that in too but there's a bunch of questions out there yeah, if I was going to start this in reverse order, I'm the most scared about the quarterback position next year, and it's because of everything you said, Dave. Adrian has all the potential in the world to be the quarterback we need for this offense to go, except that he's completely inconsistent and unreliable in that regard. When he's on his game, he's fire, man. He's he's legit. Man, Like the way he can explode when he runs and the way when he's confident he can deliver the ball of that deep one you saw to Wandell. I mean, it's heart-wrenching to watch him sometimes because he can be so good. But if we're dealing with his inconsistency now going into his senior year, and we still don't know what we have with Luke, and, and we are only got our fingers crossed with Logan Smothers, that's a humongous concern at your trigger point for your offense. So that's my biggest fear is, is the quarterback position. Running backs a close second. Sands Mills, and even with Mills, you know, everybody talks like, if we just seen more Mills this year. Well, Mills hasn't made it through a full season yet. Yep. And and I, frankly, I don't know what that does for his draft stock. I don't know that it would hurt him to come back and play a full season and show that he can be a little durable. But on, on the other side of that coin, he's got a lot of tread off his tires. The, his Juco team 
just beat the brakes off of that kid running him as much as they did. So I don't know. On the excited side of things, the whole defense, man. I'm excited about the entire defense. You know, the front seven, but the defensive backs as well. I mean, Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, they all got extensive playing time this year sure. and did well. Um, get Braxton Clark you back. You get Braxton and- Clark back, a guy we forget that we have, but he was poised to have a pretty good year this year. And as far as Cam Taylor Britt goes, I don't know why. He certainly could be drafted this year. He certainly could have a decent draft stock this year. He has a chance to be like a Jabril Peppers type season next year and really be a special difference type making defensive back and really elevate his draft stock by coming back and, and performing with eyes on him now. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows his name now. He's not a mystery in the Big Ten. He could have a special year in that in that backfield. And I think he's still got some things to learn from from Travis Fisher. So the defense as a whole has me excited. And who would have thought we'd be saying that going into year four of Scott sure. Frost? That was the thing we didn't think. And you said it a couple of weeks ago about Britt. You thought that he might be able to get to be like an honorable mention player this year only because of our record. And that, you know, potentially going into next season, he could be a preseason, yeah. you know, first team all DB. Well, he was a second team player yeah, this year. He'll be on the even... Thorpe watch list next year yeah. coming into it. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for him to come back and play. And the other thing that as far as these guys, especially guys going early, it's going to be such a weird draft year, guys. And and who knows how pro days are going to go. And yeah. it just, it's just going to be combines, combines players jumping in the all portal. American There's games. going to be a lot of guys on different teams. You're talking about a guy coming back. It'll be his fourth year in a defensive system with the same defensive back coach. I don't know when the last time we've had a defensive back had the same defensive back coach for four years in a row. So he's got a chance to really make a jump, and he's going to be a part of a strong unit with a pretty good young defensive line getting pressure on him. He's got a chance to do amazing things next year, far more than just maybe maybe a late third round, early second round at best pick at defensive back. I don't even know. I don't know what his draft grade would be. So there's a lot to be excited about on the defensive side of the ball, which Husker fans should be excited about. Yeah. You know, for me, uh, you guys picked a lot of good ones here. Basically all of it. Good luck. Hunter? Hunter? (laughs) <laughs> well, the one that I'm, I'm excited about is the O-line, who in this last game, you know, we just, we were young to begin with. We had, for the uh, majority of the season, we were starting two seniors, two redshirt freshmen, and a redshirt sophomore. And then for this Rutgers game, where we go out and run for 360-some yards, we replaced our 40-game starter at left tackle with a true freshman, Turner Corcoran, and he did pretty well. In fact, both of those tackles... He did that, not look like a true freshman. Well, both of those tackles that were true freshman and retro freshman, those are top 100 recruits, right? And then this year, we just brought in a new recruiting class, and we had our next top 100 tackle, Teddy Prochaska. And I think where I look at progress is I go, that guy doesn't necessarily have a spot next year. We're not, we're not going to be calling on him the way that we've had to call Shouldn't on Ben to. Hart no. and Corcoran so quickly in some cases here, right? And that builds depth. And by the way, next year, get your next top 100 tackle and, and year after year, just keep building. That's where we need to keep going on the O-line. But right now I see a, an offensive line that there's a lot of years ahead of a lot of those guys. I think that they're starting to play pretty well. We saw that by the end of the year there. I can't wait to see them. You know, where I get to be concerned, and I think, Dave, this starts to transition us into offense, and I'm going to go to another Vegas Jer question. And he talked about QB. You brought up QB, and I think we kind of all did. It's legitimate. He goes, I feel like we just need to get more consistent at the QB position. He thinks uh, Martinez is the guy, but he has to eliminate the clunker games. And, yes, that is my biggest concern right now as quarterback. We literally have a QB that 
he is giving you Heisman numbers at the same time that he is giving you headaches. It's ridiculous. I mean, you look at these last four games, basically since coming back from the Illinois game where he was benched, and he comes back against Illinois and, and leads us to one touchdown at the end of the game, that, that drive. And since then, he's completed like 77% of his passes. Uh, you know, he's ran for 334 yards. He had four touchdown passes, six touchdown rushes. You know, I mean, these stats are they're amazing on one side of it. And then you watch that Rutgers game, and you've got two interceptions and two fumbles, and one of the fumbles is effort, and you know, but the interceptions, one's an overthrow, and the other one's a terrible decision, and it just it makes you pull your hair up because you see so many things about this guy. Like, Dave, I'm going to go to another question that we got, and this is from Husker Ted, and he emailed us at the Go Big Red Cast at Gmail inbox, and he said, hypothetically, do you think if Martinez entered the transfer portal, do you think another P5 team would take him? Huh. That's that's interesting. I think possibly, yeah. Um, uh, the transfer portal is going to be really full this year, so that's that's an interesting question. I mean, I feel like almost an, an equivalent to Adrian is uh, the uh, Tennessee quarterback that just entered the portal, Jared Garantano. Um, similar type quarterback, had the same number actually, uh, four star guy. So um, we'll see where he goes. But it, it, yeah, I would think it's. It's possible. I mean, I feel like if I have hope about the quarterback room, and this is, again, no knock on Verduzco, but if we did mix up the coaching a little bit and just see if if Luke and Adrian respond to a, a different voice uh, differently, uh, that would give me some hope that maybe we can solve this. But, you know, I try to consume a lot of information before we do these shows. I was listening to uh, the Nick Baugh podcast which um, is on our own Herat Media Network. And uh, he had Bo Rude uh, on the show, he typically does. And they had a great conversation about Adrian. And their talking points were like, you know, it's, it's year three of Adrian Martinez. I, I should be able to have a, enough information to, to decide, is Adrian a yes or a no? Is, is he a, the, our quarterback or is it time to move on? And I thought it was a really interesting conversation because it feels like even in, in a game, uh, it's so confusing because he'll throw the, the two INTs and have the two fumbles, but then he goes 24-28 for 255. And, and you're like, I don't know, right? And it's like, I feel like I need a solution to that. Let's turn it around and let's talk about Joe Burrow for a second. He was at Ohio State for the same amount of time, three years. I heard. That his dream school was Nebraska. Uh, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> but Dave, he was at Ohio State for three years, you know, and that same argument of we should know enough about this guy by then. Now, in his case, you would know enough about him at Ohio State because he hadn't played, right? Like, there's just no way he's he's not going to put together. If he hasn't put together in three years, why would it suddenly happen transferring somewhere else, right? Well, obviously, Martinez is a different cat here. He's been here for three years, but he's played a lot. But he's done so much good, 7,000 yards of total offense, but all these other mind-boggling things. And I, I guess I think of that question like, you know, would somebody take him if he went into the portal? And I'm like, hell yes, somebody would. Somebody would jump on this guy. But the question is, would he be one of those Joe Burrow guys that goes somewhere else and all of a sudden it just comes together for, for some reason? We're kicking ourselves that we've lost him. I mean, like, there's so much production out of him, but it's... 
why is it for every two positives, there's three negatives? It just seems like we've never been able to get the full Martinez so far. I just <laughs> I like don't that. get it. I like that full Martinez. Not uh, quite as good as the full Monty, but the full Martinez that's is right. good. That's right. That's right. Boomer has a great uh, Martinez drink, actually, that you should check out for Redcast on the Rocks. Um, and sometimes you need one after watching Adrian. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Joe Burrow comparison is interesting, Hawk. I mean, he didn't play at all really for Ohio State. His first year at LSU was pretty comparable statistically with Adrian's true freshman year. Good point. Kind of Good point. Right? And then he takes off, right? The problem with Adrian is after his true freshman year, we've got two years of data that tells you that that's kind of who he is, right? He's probably someone, if he's going to throw the ball down the field, he might make some throws, but he's also going to throw some more picks. If he's conservative at throwing the ball, he's going to dink and duck and probably not be nearly as explosive, right? Yeah, so so it, it's that's a tough one. I don't know. Well, while we're talking about quarterbacks, Dan Voss uh, asked us a question about QB runs. He said, if we can run the ball with the running backs like we did last week, we will set up Martinez to pass with a high completion percentage, and we won't need to risk him carrying the ball 20 times a game, right? Or is that important in the running game? Boomer, do you feel like we need to run the QB the amount that we do? Or, I mean, even in this last game, we had a bell cow running back. He ran 25 times, but Martinez, I think, still had 26 carries himself. He was still the bell cow. So I guess moving forward, Boomer, do you see an offense where the quarterback has to continue to run for 20 plus times or can we make that a more manageable six eight ten times whatever that would be i don't know if you have to have him run you know 20 plus times a game but i think frost offense kind of wants to because i'm just thinking back to the first season to martinez's first season i think he was still our second leading rusher that year and that's when you had uh divina zigbo and you know maurice washington and gosh even greg bell here got some carries back then he was still you know an important part of the offense and having that potential for a quarterback to to break these plays or to to make that run pass option happen you you still got to have that as part of this offense uh you know it's probably been overemphasized this year because we just haven't had anything else i mean how teams haven't figured out basically every third and some possession we had this year was going to be a quarterback <laughs> draw i didn't quite understand but uh yeah it, it's always going to be a part of the offense now you know is it 20 plus times a game probably less than ideal but they're gonna see a decent amount of carries i think every game as we're talking about the running game here, let's move away from the quarterback and let's actually get to the running backs right. here. Let's get to our running backs coach, Mac. I've, I've called you the offensive coordinator and the running backs coach tonight. So, yeah, so Both of my jobs have been horrible this year. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a couple of questions about, guess what, running the damn ball oh. and about bell cows. Uh, Sal Vasta, Carl Vogel. Uh, you know, Carl, he talked about uh, the Rutgers game five years ago. Riley runs a Zigbo into the ground in the bowl versus uh-huh. UCLA and wins. And he pledges that we're going to run 50-50 or better, and it never happened again. Will Frost and company finally see how much the running game success is a must in the Big Ten and start taking it seriously? Well, I, I do think they've taken it seriously. And I, I, I would contend that maybe the reason that you see Wandell in the backfield is because they are taking the game seriously and they want their best player back there to run the ball. Now it's not ideal because he's, he's smaller than he should be, but they're Mm -hmm. taking it seriously. They're literally taking the best playmaking wide receiver they have out of the slot and putting him into the running back position to run the ball. It has not been effective, but I, I, I see that as them being serious about running the ball. Clearly the amount of carries that the quarterbacks have gotten is an effort to run the ball. 
you know, Ryan Held's job's been been weird this year, and Frost has alluded to it a little bit. And I feel like sometimes because Frost is so unwilling to talk about injuries and talking about uh, what guys are banged up and what guys aren't, he sets himself up for these criticisms. But part of the reason we didn't see Mills, who may have probably been our most important player on offense this year. I mean, when you look at what he did this game and how good our offense turned out and and the amount of production we had when he's healthy and ready to go, you see how it looks, you know, the fact is he wasn't as available to this offense as much as we would have liked to have on this. Okay. So the game that scares me and maybe exactly to your point here is maybe we just don't know. Maybe he was injured right away, but literally in week one against Ohio state, 10 carries. It's a fair point too. And and the only thing I can think of, if it's not an injury, because maybe because it's Ohio state, just like when we broke out the eye formation against them the year before, maybe we're trying to throw some, some trickery in there and putting Luke back there and, and just making him think sure. about it. Yeah. Cause so right away he, yeah, he was running. Cause out. this was a game that we were, the cards were stacked against us on that one. So, it would. It might have been an outlier, except it kind of trickled out through the whole. Well, rest then, of the season. then I think injuries start playing into it. Yeah. Now, for number one, I think it's important for our offense mm-hmm. to have Dedrick Mills back. But in addition to him, I think Marvin Scott can run the same yeah. style that he can. It, I think about Gabe Irvin that we just recruited, yes. and now I'm putting a lot onto a true freshman, right? But I'm talking about guys that at least well, could the be doors, the same caliber. Yeah. Where I where I question right now is. I already question you know, Johnson and oh. then even Morrison not even getting out there wow. at all. Again, I don't know about injuries, but I'm just I'm just trying to find guys that run like um, the style that Mills runs. And I think Irvin and Scott can do that. But we need multiple guys that if Mills can't play in the game or if he happens to you know leave the program after this year, we need guys that can run yeah. like Mills. Right, right after quarterback consistency, if that's if that's one yep. A, one B is development of the running backs. Now, let's just assume Mills is gone because okay. he probably is. I mean, it, it, I see. I, I I know where you're going. Okay, I, but, I don't, but let's just, okay. I don't necessarily agree, but but continue. Okay, on. but let's just say he's gone. Okay, then that that room is completely unproven, and That's not only true. unproven, but there could be some there could be some guys in there that enter the portal. You know, like there's there some weird things going on with Ronald Tompkins. You didn't see him much. You know, Ramir Johnson was sort of in, sort of out. Sevian Morrison was on. He was never in. And then yeah. Marvin Scott. Marvin Scott's probably the guy you could say is going to come back. And then you got a Gabe Irvin coming in. But he's a freshman. You know, so, yeah, you know, if you're going to so look hard. at the transfer portal, you know, that's a position you've got to really, you've got to comb through there and see if you can find a running back that's of, of a type and of a size that you can count on. Uh, Carl Vogel talked about Ozigbo. You know, Frost, when we had Ozigbo, when we figured out what he had with Ozigbo, Utilize Zigbo. Yeah, I mean, you said that a week ago with with Oregon too. It wasn't yeah. just a Zigbo, but also yeah. they did that with Freeman, yeah, right? Royce I mean, Freeman was they, a guy that they featured. So it's not. I, I don't think Frost is ignoring or forgetting the fact that a good, strong running game or a good, strong running back is important. I feel like, much like quarterback consistency, running back availability was an issue this year. So those are the things that absolutely have to be addressed. And you know, you hear. Marvin Scott was possibly COVID, so he couldn't play yeah. one game. Yeah, Sevion, yep. you know, he got injured, then he got COVID, then he got injured again. So he's kind of out of the game. I don't know what was going on with Ramir Johnson, and I don't know what was going on with Ronald Tompkins. And then the same with Mills. He was in, he was out, he was in, he was out. Mm. So that needs to be shored up. That absolutely needs to be shored up. And it's it sort of gets an incomplete grade to me this year. That being said, when we're healthy, when we have the bell cow, the, our favorite word of the offseason and going into the season, <laughs> when that guy is available and ready to go, 
we become kind of difficult. And all of a sudden, Adrian's completing 70% of his sure. passes. Well, he's completing those percentages of passes. I'm looking at Rutgers' defensive stats for this year. We ran for the most yards of anybody, and by a fair with a amount. With freshman re- a left tackle. With three of our five guys yeah. on the offensive line being freshmen, we ran for the most yards by far of anybody on against Rutgers this year. When it's working, I don't think the scheme is what's wrong right now. I think it's about getting the right personnel in the right situation. Right. Mac, if I'm going to jump away from a couple of the uh, – the mailbag questions, you kind of brought up the transfer portal, and I think running back would be a spot on the offensive yeah. side you would definitely focus on. Dave, I'll go to you, and then I'll go to you next, Boomer. Um, if you were looking at the transfer portal right now from a purely offensive perspective, is there an area, and not just an area, but are you looking for a specific body type, a specific something that we're lacking right now if you were going to go that route? Uh, I'll, I'd start with the uh, five-star Dual threat QB is he out there in the portal, Mac? I'm not quite for certain. <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> well, Dave, even if that's in jest, does this have to be somebody that's been playing though for a couple years, or is this just the guy that has played? You know, was a five star kid, went to some team, left after one year because he didn't play, or are you looking for someone that has three years experience? I mean, what? Are, what... Yeah, I'd like to see some production. I guess to your point, sure. I guess from a from the running back perspective, which is more likely, I don't think we're going to go and get the quarterback um, in the transfer portal. But I I I think TJ Pledger just today actually Oklahoma running back who's a far yep. four star guy, highly recruited. He's um, you know dynamic. Um, would definitely. Um, keep Wandell out of the backfield a little bit more. I I would suppose could be a really intriguing addition. Mm-hmm. There might be a few others out there that might be worth looking at, and that that could grow. So I I would look at seeing if we could add an experienced running back. Absolutely, yeah, and an experienced running back who plays for Oklahoma, who we play against in week two or three next year. That wouldn't hurt right. us either. And it, immediately eligible would be a critical factor there. Well, you wonder what they're going to do with that. With a transfer, everyone's going to be immediately eligible. Is that the has that been ruled on? Uh, <laughs> Boomer, how does the NCAA make their decisions right now? <laughs> uh, if they like it, they pretty much approve them. That's kind of the way it goes. We're screwed. Yeah, just a- <laughs> We're doomed. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're going to get a 15-yard penalty just for having just him for come on the team. It's up to a three-person commission of 40, Dan Walken and uh, you know Desmond Howard. Uh, Boomer, is there somebody in the transfer portal offensively that you would be interested in, it, you know, whether it be wide receiver or offensive line or quarterback, whoever it is offensively, is there someone, is there a body type, a, a certain skill set that we're, we're lacking that you think that, uh, that we need? Well, I mean, Dave hit on, you know, one key area, like we've all talked about already, that running back, just just lacking experience there. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of running backs popping in the portal. I know LSU had one go in. I think Isaiah Bowser from Northwestern entered the transfer portal. So if you just need experience, that's out there. You know, wide receivers in other those areas, you know, we, we heard all about Omar Manning this year. We never saw him. So I don't know where, is he going to be available next year? You know, again, we don't know what's going on with him. Now, Xavier Betts, we didn't see a whole lot of this year as much as we thought. Do we need another sure. wide receiver at that end? I, again, a lot of that's internal stuff we don't know about. Maybe we do need someone to kind of fill those sort of roles. But those are probably the ones where I think you can find somebody in a transfer portal pretty readily, and they'll be able to have an immediate impact. I think those two positions are probably the easiest to find someone to, to step in mm-hmm. right away. Yeah, you know, Mac, think about wide receiver for a second. Let's just have the happy day scenario that – Betts comes back, has this great offseason, and 
he just takes off from where he kind of mm-hmm. left off this year, right? I mean, we we love everything about him. He's going to still be a freshman next year and right. bets his bets, right? right? But imagine on the other side, opposite from him, Omar Manning with this whole offseason under his belt. He actually is the Omar Manning that we thought we were going to get this year. Right. Just picture that. Those two guys on, on each side yeah. of the field and – you know, Wandell at a slot guy in between. You know, just think of what that receiving core maybe coming like. back after a knee injury. Sure. You know, another speed guy. Uh, Houston. Uh, the, you know, Oliver, Oliver Martin, Martin yeah, were yeah, looking I mean, good by the end of the year. Listen, so. by, by the end of the year, I didn't feel like wide receivers were our problem. I mean, mm-hmm. and and I will say, looking at the way the outside guys were blocking on the perimeter, the wide receivers definitely had a pretty good role this year. I, we never push the ball f- downfield enough to really test their their wares in terms of uh, pass catching wide receivers. But mm-hmm. as opposed to the running back position, I've seen just enough glimpses of some of the guys on the wide receiver and the outside to know. Oh, look! If we get these guys the ball consistently, mm-hmm. I feel like they can contribute. The running back position is a complete mystery, especially if Mills is gone. You've seen Marvin Scott take a few handoffs off the middle. Maybe what was his longest run? Fourteen yards, and then it's and then it's Ronald Tompkins. And then it's, I mean, it's just, to me, <laughs> we've really, 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 I don't care if we take three guys out the transfer portal at the running back position. We need production out of there. And I don't care whose feelings it hurt. You know, like quarterback, maybe it's a chemistry thing and maybe you're worried about messing up with the team. Yeah, but the running back position, I don't you care. You can't have the drop-off that we've had right now behind Mills. Not that's the one. Th- that's one thing we Not can't afford because, to have Because you year. can't go mills Wandell. Like that is going. That's, that's detrimental to the team. If you can't have a running back past your starter be your slot yep. wide receiver, you're doing something wrong. Yep, Dave. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think the the Minnesota game highlighted that to me, Mac, in the sense that when um, Mo Ibrahim went off the field, you're like, oh, Minnesota lost their All Big Ten back. Well, that's going to be a big difference. Right. And like Potts and whoever that guy was comes in and they have great runs. You're like, and these guys are freshmen, I think, right? Yeah. It's like, how does Minnesota have their freshman running back produce for them and we can't get a, a redshirt freshman like Ramirez Johnson do more than five yards? I don't, I don't get it, right? And that's not usually historically a problem we've had either. It's not usually a problem we've had getting young running backs ready to go. Mm. It's been a problem this year. It needs to stop being a problem. I I would say right now, to me, there are on the offensive side, there are three non-negotiables that have to happen. Uh, One is that running back, we cannot have the drop-off that we just talked about. We just can't. We need to be able to go three deep. You have to be able to go one, two, three deep in this conference. But just in general, you have to be able to do that and not have as steep of a decline as what we've had this season. Okay, and by the way, that one, two, three can be with guys currently on the team, or maybe it is that we have it to bring others could in. Be. It certainly so, could be. So that's one of them. Another non-negotiable is is when we go back to the center position. Jurgens, the last whatever three and a half games, whatever it was at halftime, when I was on the phone with you, Max, mm-hmm. saying Jurgens can't play the rest of the year because he can't snap the ball to the quarterback, and then he gets back on the field and he doesn't have a single issue. I don't think the rest of the year, and good on him. And you know what? That's awesome. But moving forward, that's a non-negotiable. I don't uh, yeah. care. I don't care if you're on the Remington Award watch list. If the ball doesn't get to the quarterback, it's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Moving forward in this offense, it has to get there. And the last non-negotiable is with that quarterback. And I don't care if you have seven thousand yards, and I don't care if you're completing seventy-five percent of your passes. If we're throwing interceptions. And if we are fumbling the ball, it's just a non-negotiable. Quarterbacks can't do that, right? Especially as you're in your third and fourth years. Now, at no point did I say, 
bench Jurgens. Uh-huh. At no point did I say bench Martinez. Uh-huh. At no point did I say any of the, the backup running backs that, that we have can't be those one, two, three punch. I'm just saying develop those guys or those guys have to step up into those roles. But moving forward, going into year four, we it's yeah. a non-negotiable. Because that's the- those guys can't be making those same mistakes this year. Because the issue this year is not about production. Yeah. The issue this year, and the reason, Dave, that we're not jumping off the ledge like we did a year ago right now with, with a similar record when we did our Loud Noises show, the reason I'm not right now isn't because of production. The, the production's there. I saw progress in so many areas. We, it's very targeted right now what we have to fix. It is mistakes. It is execution. Every Husker fan and, knows that, too. Yes. I mean, this is, the, we're not breaking fan, any news Every here. Husker fan realizes that if we – you said it a couple shows back. It's always us versus us. It's always us versus us. And, and one of these days the we're going to win. One of these days we're going to start winning. We have the tools. We have the players. We have the scheme. It's, it's a matter of us deciding when we're going to execute it to its highest level. And when we do, we're going to be hard to deal with. We will be. We will be very hard to deal with. And it is probably the most maddening factor of this team <laughs> right now. Is is <laughs> It's like the other team is just waiting for us to hand them the ball. And by God, we will. Well, here, Sometimes let, four times. Let's give the last offense question to Dave. And this is from Wild West. And it's about play calling. And he said, just a thought, but what about Frost stepping aside and letting Lubick call the plays? They both have the same philosophies. Just feel like Frost is trying too hard or something. Yeah, well, uh, Wild West, I don't know. Maybe you're alluding to that uh, that first touchdown drive where we had Mills get down to the three-yard line, and then it took you know four plays of excruciating pain to, to punch it in where it felt like you just could just give Diedrich the ball another time. and it would. Was that when they did the thing to Hickman? Was yes, it? oh, that's yes. correct. The first play is Hickman. Do you, do you know why that play failed, Honky? I actually rewatched the game today. It looked like Turner Corcoran got blown up. A correct. Bit yes, it was Turner Corcoran, our true freshman uh, tackle, got blown up, and that's why Hickman didn't get in. And I don't, I don't know if Lubick would call a significantly different game. It's hard to know that dynamic uh, the other six days of the week, right, on, on who's devising the game plan and the play play calling sheet and all those different things. Uh, Lubick and, and Greg Austin and others might have a lot of influence on Scott Frost. And maybe it's not that big of a deal to have him calling the, the plays during the actual game. But I, I guess you could, you know, juggle things around there a little bit and, and see if it makes a difference. It'd be a potential improvement over a game management standpoint to see Frost be able to step back and see everything and not have to be so focused on what he's going to call the next drive. Mm-hmm. Well, let me rephrase the question to maybe a different way. When Lubick was announced the offensive coordinator, there was a lot of talk about how we struggled in the red zone a year ago. And by bringing Lubick in, that was going to help us with our red zone offense. Now that we've had kind of at least, it's not a full season, but kind of a, a pandemic you know, type of season, mm-hmm. eight games, did you see an improvement in the red zone part at least? I mean, is there something that whether Lubick's calling the players or Frost, it doesn't really matter next year. Sure. Did you see improvement in that area, that aspect? Boomer, I don't know if you got any any stats on this one. I, I would say just anecdotally that over the course of the eight games, it did get better. I would say it struggled significantly in the first couple, it felt like. I mean, the Penn State game with Luke, obviously, were in Northwestern, 
uh, we had lots of issues of, of punching the ball in, right? Oh, God. Yeah, so I, I think it got better as the year went on, and I think Lubick also probably utilized our tight ends a lot more. That's a big influence, I suppose, on the offense. So, yeah, we, we, we saw his fingerprints on the offense. It, it took a while for that red zone offense to get better, though. There's nothing more irritating as a fan to watch a team with a losing record get cute on the goal line. It's like, <laughs> just punch it in. It's not time to be fancy. It's not time to show how smart you are. I don't care if you sneak it three times in a row, get in there. Don't try to shovel pass to a guy with zero career receptions to try to slip it in off of your true freshman tackle. I'm like, oh, that was that was just... It was after that play that I ran downstairs <laughs> to find... To find my Green Bay Packers uh, like shirt. We were talking about this on the text line. I'm like, I don't have a shirt old enough to still have good luck on it. And then it <laughs> dawned on me, yes, I do. It's in my memories box. And I went downstairs and I dug, it out, I dug it out and it has moth holes in it, but I put it on. And I'm Your like, memories box. That's awesome. <laughs> That's Your memories a- box is like a little cedar ch- a hope chest you've got at the foot of your bed? Or what, what is Obviously this? not. Oh it has goodness. moth holes in it, but I should. You know, guys, <laughs> Mac, I appreciate so much sitting next to you because Dave and Boomer, well, all of you guys, you know, last week against Minnesota, I had my little moments of of craziness on on our text chain and everything. But last weekend, I wasn't even involved with it. I was at a, a friend's house that's completely separate from our group and not a huge Husker fan, just a, you know, kind of a casual one. So I was watching the game there and I was much cooler and calmer. I didn't even have the phone on me. The game got done. I had a 144 text messages. <laughs> it was at the very end before I started checking them. But uh, by all understandings, Mac, it sounded like you kind of took the honky roll of of the weekend (laughs) and you were frustrated at times, which, again, you know, totally understandable. We won the game, but yet who doesn't get frustrated at four turnovers and fake punts at work again and and kickoff returns? I mean, we understand it, right, Mac? I'm Mm -hmm. not I'm not chastising you. It's just enjoyable for it not having to be me this weekend. Well. We all take our turns. We all, we all take our turns. Well, I don't have a hot tub. I have a memory box. <laughs> well, let's take a turn and, and start to transition to the defense. And we had a couple different people, David and the Mama Husker. They were asking questions about recruits that were coming in that were just signed last week. And this is something normally in a normal year we do a recruiting special. We didn't really we do could. one. We I mean, could. We still might. We might do that. Like maybe do it in February. But it just didn't work this year to, to do it at that time. But um, Mama Husker asks, which recruits that just signed last week do you think will have the best chances of playing time right away? Which recruits not named Thomas Fedoni? <laughs> yep, that's right. Obviously, I think as we're talking about, you know, incoming recruits mm-hmm. and, and newcomers to the program, I mean, he's the guy that has he's to the factor. Jewel. Well, <laughs> he's the jewel and he factors mm-hmm. definitely into to play time next year. So, Dave, I guess if you think about Fedoni, how do you think he factors into that room and in the offense next year? Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting to follow his uh, recruiting. Uh, he was heavily recruited by Iowa, who is known for uh, producing tight ends, also LSU and, and other big-time programs. Uh, but, you know, he had the, the Husker connection, and and that is how we, we landed him. I, I think that when you listen to the recruiting specialists, they really just talk about how special this guy is and how big of a difference maker he might be. Uh, it's so hard to get five stars on a tight end, apparently. I don't understand why that is, but apparently Fedoni came almost as close as you could for a tight end to get five stars. And um, 
it is a crowded room, but I do think that Jack Stoll will probably leave. I think, you know, he's been around for a long time and will be ready to move on. And so you still have Austin Allen and, and Travis Vokalek. Uh, but I think there's probably another spot for a, a third tight end. We've already shown that we will use two or three or, or more tight ends uh, on the field um, and definitely through the course of a game. So I think we're going to see Fedoni quite a bit next year, and he could be a game changer. I, I think of the Austin Allen catch um, that he gets finally deep over the middle and Adrian hits him, but he stumbles and falls. And I think Fedoni probably has the athleticism to make that catch and then just stroll into the end zone. There's a part of me that thinks of like the way that Oklahoma used to use their tight ends back in like the late two thousands when like Bradford was their quarterback, they'd have these stand up, like we called them H backs or whatever the heck they were, but they, they weren't down in three point stances, but they'd stand up, be almost in the slot and five, ten catches a game. They get downfield. They were treated as wide receivers. And then I watched the film of Fedoni, and, I mean, dude, he looks like that guy. I mean, he looks like a guy you can send 30 and 40 yards down the field. And that is something that, to your point, they're kind of with the uh, the Austin Allen catch. Sometimes I like our tight ends we have right now. I don't see them as deep threats. And I feel like Fedoni could be that guy that could turn that tight end into a deep threat. And that is something that – we haven't had yet. So it's interesting. Mac, what, what about you when you think about, you know, new recruits, newcomers, what do you think? You know, Fedoni's, Fedoni's a great example of having something a little bit different. You know, when we got Xavier Betts last year, we I talked about him being a hands catcher and the way he caught the ball away from his body and was yeah. very smooth with it. I see that same thing when I watch Fedoni play. He's very good in the open field. He's very good at catching the ball with his hands and not letting it get to his body. He's a difference maker. And I remember saying at the beginning of the year, if we want to recruit a guy like that, if we want to get this high-level guy, we've got to show that that, we're going to feature that position in the offense this year, which I think we did. A position that we didn't do a very good job of featuring this year was the running back position. And that is a position that right now – you know, assuming Mills moves forward, we don't know that, but let's just say he does. And even if he doesn't, they're still wide open right after him. Yeah, and you we know? only brought one in. And we only brought one in, but we brought in a guy like Gabe Irvin. You know, and this is a kid, you know, I'm in love with Georgia running backs. I, I just do. I think <laughs> I think they're fantastic. And when you see a guy who's, you know, Rivals has got him listed at 6'1", 190. And here's kind of a difference between him and Fedoni, right? So, some of the things that benefited us uh, in the recruitment of Fedoni is Council Bluffs. He was right next door. He couldn't go on all the recruiting trips, and he didn't have everybody beaten down mm-hmm. his door. Gabe Irvin is the exact opposite. He's in the Deep South. He's being recruited by teams like Georgia and and all those other teams from the South. But he's still stuck with us. You know, maybe that's because he sees an opportunity. Maybe that's because he really likes the coaching staff. But the fact of the matter is, we haven't had any of our guys to this point step up behind Mills to take that running back position. And, and we said it earlier on the show, we're going to need to be three deep in that position group anyway. This is a guy, he plays at the highest level of football in Georgia. He's had a really good season. He's really good out of the backfield and receptions. Mm-hmm. He's got power in between the tackles. He's got speed. He's got elusiveness. And he's a home run threat. Now, I've said that about Sevian Morrison. And I've said that about <laughs> Reese Washington. And I've said that about, you know, 
uh, Marvin Scott III. One of these times, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be right, and today's the day. Aaron's <laughs> the guy. You, you know, the Matt, deeper the south you go with your running backs, though, <laughs> typically the better. Well, I'm Matt, not wrong about that. When when it comes to recruiting, you know, I don't get too big into the stars, but I do think it is important when you can get into a state and recruit a kid out of a state that is being offered by the big in-state schools. Sure. Yeah, Buckley, a defense lineman we have from Michigan who's been offered by Michigan and Michigan State. Right. That's a big deal, right? Well, to get Irvin out of Georgia, and he has Georgia and Georgia Tech. He also has Florida State, I mean, which is just right across the border down there. That does matter to me. I mean, there is some level of importance to that. And uh, and I also think just for, you know, Dave mentioned it at the very beginning here, we want to have a one, two, three punch. I think, you know, Mills and Scott and Irvin all at least fit that same mold of a one, two, three punch. And if any of those other guys, Ramir or Morrison, if anyone else wants to step in and get mm-hmm. into that rotation, it, the door is doors wide, wide open. open. You know, really, Fedoni comes into a much stronger room. But the beauty of the tight end position is you can get one, two, or three of them on the field sure. at the same time. So it's not as, as intimidating. Uh, with the running back position, man, it's it's whoever wants to take the wheel and run with it. If you can stay healthy and you know your offense and you can you can be productive, man, you got a chance to shine. And right. make no mistake, if we're gonna take the next step in this offense, it's gonna be quarterback consistency and and a running back that we can count on. And and we need someone to we need somebody to do it. Well, and that's taking that step on the offense on the defensive side. You know, we haven't talked about any newcomers yet. Boomer, do you have anyone on the defensive side, do you think, that, you know, coming out of that recruiting class or whatever that might be able to to step in and and play an immediate role? If you want to call him part of that recruiting class or not, but uh, this is actually uh, grad transfer uh, Chris uh, Kolarevic from uh, Northern Iowa. Oh, that's a good pick. uh, I believe he signed in October. He'll be on scholarship in about 11 days or so in uh, January anyway. You know, he fills that inside linebacker spot that, We've just got a big gap with, with uh, you know, Will Honus is going to come back as a question, and Colin Miller, we all know, unfortunately, has to injuries preventing him from continuing any football career. So just in terms of sheer experience, there's a big gap in that inside linebacker program. I mean, who's the most experienced linebacker we have left after those two? <laughs> Nick Henrik? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, there's just not a lot there. It's Heinrich and, and Reimers, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, he's got a couple of years under his belt. Uh, he's got... I think 79 tackles the last time he played. He did have a foot injury, but, you know, he's from northern Iowa, and you've got both uh, Shenander and Frost with some ties there, so they probably have a good, you know, at least some feels as to what kind of players they have there. I actually expect him to step in and play a kind of an important role this next season. I think that's a great pick, Boomer. That's a, Boomer a, with the sneaky pick. I, I like it. totally went different from where I was thinking there, and I think if you have... Can he do kickoffs? <laughs> <laughs> Can he kick the ball into the end zone? Because... Well, we'll find out, I guess. He's got some time. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I think he is a kind of a traditional Big Ten-style inside linebacker. Um, if Hannes would come back, and I hope he does. I really do. I'll I, take him. On the offensive side, we talked about how I think Mills is probably the most important guy to come back. On the defensive side, man, give me Doman and Honus Every time. By the way, I if I go back and forth with calling him Honus and Honus, it's just because I do. I, I say Honus. I just you I don't say potato. Yeah, say we've potato. had people email us what it's right, and I I'm wrong. How do you every time. email a pronunciation? I think it's Onus, I believe. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's when they. You know, I never learned those like umlauts or whatever yeah. over letters. I don't know. Don't try to hit me with an accent, Mark. <laughs> 
Well, Honky is a German from Russia. For yeah, that's right. Grandma Honky was. For, yeah, Did you she say like umlaut. Yeah, that's umlaut. So yeah, it's like there's like dots and stuff. Yeah, I know. Um, Boomer perfectly transitioned us into defense, and and we appreciate you for that. And we had a question from Tyler Weisler. And he said, do you foresee any of our seniors coming back to receive the full benefit of the full season? And specifically, he mentioned Cam Taylor-Britt. Do you see him writing this all-conference success into early entry into the NFL draft, or do you see him coming back? We've talked about that a little bit, but but let's get real specific now, Mac, into mm-hmm. the defense here. Do you see guys leaving or coming back? We talked about Honus. We, you know, how about Stilly? Mm-hmm. How about Dismuke? Right. How about, you know, Williams? There's a ton of dudes Yep. That that defense started performing pretty right. well this year. Who do you kind of want to see back, and where do you see that defense going in the offseason? You can look at it a couple ways. I think guys that would benefit coming back. Okay. Um, Good way of looking at it. I think Cam Tillabritt is a guy that would benefit coming back. He could be drafted this year, no doubt. I I already talked about it earlier in the show, but his draft stock could skyrocket with a really good year this year, especially with more eyes on him throughout the year and, and him making plays the way he has his whole career. And I would say the same thing with Honus. He, he's a guy that could that could really skyrocket his potential with another consistent year. You know, with Deontay Williams, I mean, based on his age and, you know, he's had some injury issues throughout his career, it might be the right time for him to go. And I could understand why he might do that. He's got a kid. It's just something that, like, and it becomes a personal choice too, you know. you Everybody has different life circumstances they need to take care of. Jojo Doman for me is the hardest one to read because oh, yeah. because he's such a tweener in and I don't know where he's going to play in the NFL. He's a he's a gamer, you know. And I don't know that him coming back and having another really good year at Nebraska changes his draft stock that much. So it's kind of individual as you go down the line. But I think I think Honus definitely could improve his stock. I think Cam Taylor Britt could absolutely improve his stock. Beyond those two guys, Stilly, I don't know, maybe fifty fifty. At what point, and maybe this is different for each position, does age really become a, a detriment, right? You mentioned Deontay Williams. I, I, I think he's already 24. He'd be 25 here pretty soon. Will Honus, that'd be at least his sixth year. Um, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. Did, did Boodle redshirt or does Muke redshirt? I mean, some of these guys are, are grown men to your point. When does, from an NFL draft standpoint, age become a detriment? Well, I think Boodle was in a satellite camp back in like 2003 under Solich. Is that right? <laughs> he, he, was, he was part of the mythical satellite camp offseason, you know, when, satellite when, when Jim Harbaugh was going to France to do satellite camps. I don't, you know, back when Jim Harbaugh was charming, you know, right? But when Michigan still loved having That's him. That's how right. old Boodle is. Yeah. No, you know, it, it's a good question, Dave. And I think it is a little position by position. And, and some of it, too, is how many injuries yet? injuries have you had uh Deontay Williams has suffered broken collarbones and a, a bad knee one year so it's like it, you don't want to be too brittle going into the NFL yeah running backs clearly a position you don't want to have too much wear on no. your tires because it's such a like they have the shelf life of a banana <laughs> honestly I'm like you can look at them it's green it's green it's green it's yellow it's brown you know it's like you've uh, got to hit while the, you got to yeah. strike while the iron's hot on that um, so, you know, your health is an important part of it. Timing's an important part of it. Uh, the NFL is, it's a, it's a different animal, man. And if you're one of the, I think probably one of the things that hurts your stock the most is have you, if you've never shown the ability to go bell to bell on a season, 
And even Dolan, to that point. extent, has has this has been his only year that he's made it all the way through. And it's been the only year that Deontay Williams has made it all the way through. So for those two guys to put a whole a whole year on tape, it's probably time for them to get. I mean, it probably is. You know, Honus, on the other hand, well, man, that's just a tough call, Dave. That's a really good question. With middle linebackers, you'd think it'd probably be the same thing. But he's had he's he's battled injuries too. Is it like the year before last he was he was hurt for a lot of it too. So it, it all it all adds up. It all it all probably goes into a rubric of scoring and, and what your draft stock gets. And and you know where a guy like JoJo's got such an advantage with his dad being a is his dad a scout or is he an agent? I think he's an agent, uh, Mac, but maybe he's a scout. He, he's definitely in the business. But right, and, he's, but he's definitely got really good connections right. to get a really accurate draft grade. Correct. You know, that's something that's going to be super valuable. For You'll him. not be guessing. Yeah, that's and right. And that's the most important thing, I think, for anybody wanting to venture into the draft is you want to have an accurate and fair description of where you're at. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't help anyone to get BS right now. No. It doesn't help anyone to come in and go, I think you're a second round dude, and then you don't get drafted, right? right. I mean, Lamar Jackson last year, for, for what it's worth, that dude at times in the middle of the season a year ago was being talked about as a late first rounder. And, That's right. You know, it didn't matter because he didn't leave early. He was a senior, but right. I mean, he was going to go when he went. But the point is, he went from at times being talked about as a late first rounder to not being drafted at all. And I just I'm curious sometimes, Dave. Like, how does that happen? How how do guys get so misjudged at some time, and then by the end of the year, it's like, my God, they they fall in six rounds. Well, I'll, I'll flip that though. Is how many quarterbacks got drafted ahead of Lamar Jackson who haven't played in the NFL or didn't start a game, and Lamar Jackson is starting for the Jets? Very true. Right. Great point. That's a great I mean, point. like, explain that one to me. Right. Lamar yeah. is an undrafted free agent, and sure, the Jets. <laughs> Got their first victory this weekend, but Lamar's been playing a lot for them. And I mean, so like the talent evaluation and it depends on what system you get into and so many different factors there. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Lamar should have got drafted last year. He probably was a second or third round type pick. And he ends up proving it by by playing his his rookie year. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Let's end this, uh, the defensive side here, with a defensive line question. We had, we had a couple questions that came in. Vegas Jer, Gary Johnson on Twitter. They were basically talking about D-line. Gary Johnson asked about, he wonders how the uh, the Polar Bear is doing these days and, and Coach Tuioti's view of him so far. Uh, Mac, I, we don't have to just be specific to, to Nash, but mm-hmm. just in general, we were really pleased with that front three. We were pleased yeah. with the front seven. The three, four looks like a defense moving forward. Yeah, that is going to be successful in this conference. That's the progress that comes out of this year, in my opinion. Because yeah. I think six months ago and 12 months ago, we didn't feel that way. How are you feeling right now with the D-line? How are you feeling with the young guys coming mm-hmm. back? Is there anybody that, you know, you see a newcomer coming in there? Is it Nash? You know, Man, how do you, what do you feel right now? I, I, I feel like that is going to be, if a newcomer cracks the lineup and the defensive line, then they're they're ballers, you know, because yeah. I I feel like that is a very deep and strong position. I mean, Nash like squats Pluto. I mean, like <laughs> that kid is that kid is so ridiculously strong and has been his entire career, and he hasn't even sniffed the field. No one's talked about him. Sure, you know so. Which is a, you know, a good thing. A, good a, tr- a true you know, like, freshman you know, like, sniffing the D line. <laughs> <not good. laughs> 
<laughs> for a lot of reasons, you know. <laughs> was it sniffing that got you to laugh? Yeah. Is sniffing a the true wrong freshman word? sniffing the D line? Is that such it's a never good? Is no. that a '90s term to say it, sniffing? I no, felt it like just, that was just so sounded normal. like I just Im- I just had a mental image of a true freshman sniffing the defensive line. <laughs> Boomer stopped sniffing glue last week, and yeah. how bad that must smell. I'm like, my goodness, those guys are horrible. Yeah. No, but <laughs> but but. You know, you've got it's not just Nash, but you've got JUCO guys coming. You've got Riley, you've got Keem Green. Jeez, you know, but on top of that, you've got redshirt freshmen and Tate Wilderman, who we don't even talk about, who was another four star guy that it's not that they're down on, he's just been hurt a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. we're so deep at that, at that position group, and it's already proved itself to be pretty good this year. <sighs> I mean, if you want to get excited about a, a, a very specific position group, the defensive line. Look no further, man. And and if you're good there, you're good. I mean, uh, would you take Stilly back? I mean, even as deep as that line looks, would you take Stilly? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, that's it's a really good question. I mean, Dave, from a you know, from a perspective of like, you know, being honorable mention or second team, you know, all conference or whatever, where do you see guys like Robinson and Rogers coming back? I mean, they started playing a lot this year. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm very optimistic. I, I, I think they're quite a ways away from showing up on any sort of honor list at this point, but that could change really quickly. I mean, by the end of next year, I think you could see, I mean, Casey Rogers probably had a bigger impact than, than Ty Robinson, although Ty had some really good games too. Um, Mm -hmm. And you had Phil Darius Payne. And I mean, you had lots of guys um, landing up uh, on that front three or four, however we were configuring our, our, our D and making contributions. So yeah, you have to be very positive about that. Uh, and that that's okay that, that uh, Huttmacher has uh, a little bit of longer of a runway because of that, right? Sure. That's great. Um, but I mean, I, I think we've already seen that the rotation that we can have with a deep defensive line makes a big difference. And so, I mean, let, let's bring Nash uh, along. And, and if we see more of Jordan Riley, we see more of um, Keem Green combined with Casey Rogers and, and uh, Ty Robinson. That's going to be a good combination. Yeah. And I think that's a, a great answer, by the way, too, with guys like, like Rogers and Robinson, is that maybe they aren't necessarily immediately ready for that, uh, you know, that, those accolades. I don't know that they deserved them yet, but they're also going to come back next year as freshmen and sophomores again. And that's the crazy thing about this COVID year that we've been in. If you were a freshman this year, you're a freshman next year. And I look at Robinson and I'm like, this dude at times looked like a fifth year beast. And he's going to be a freshman next year. We we could see some, some portal movement, some attrition at the defensive line spot. A few guys, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything is wrong there. It just means that position's deep. I mean, you, you know, yeah. did you mention Messiah Newsom? I mean, just another guy in oh, there from geez, Iowa. When we talked with Sipple, yeah. Sipple talked about how Newsom he thought this year was going to be a, a contributor. And I don't know the first thing about Newsom. I don't know if there was injuries. I don't know anything about the situation. I just know that we didn't see him out there on uh, the field. No. And that's not to say anything negative about no. him or anything. What, what about Blaze Gunderson? Is he outside linebacker? Is he going to be DN? I'm like, we didn't even talk about Blaze Gunderson. Nico this Cooper this year. Yeah. I mean, I think he fits all the sides. And he did a great job on. on he what did a, a great job. Year. We're yeah. talking about the defense like with such excitement. Oh. Cooper did a great job on special teams yep. a number of times on kickoff teams. But, uh, you know, he just didn't quite make that splash on defensive side of the ball. But that doesn't mean he won't next year. And 
That's what we're looking for, Dave. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, this does sound like we are really excited about the defense, which is funny, right? But l- let me throw a little bit of uh, cold water on that, and, and Boomer, you're Aww. always good at this. So, <laughs> but I mean, like, um, the the Minnesota game, for example, everybody was frustrated with that loss, and at the end of the day, you watch that game, and the Minnesota offensive line handled our D-line a little bit better than I'm happy with, right? I mean, there's a lot of good games where I felt our D-line did a really good job. They they got into the backfield against Penn State, Rutgers, uh, even Northwestern and Ohio State. Minnesota did a dang good job against us in that game. We did not get a lot of penetration, Um, you know, so... They have to be more consistent, I guess, just just like so many other positions. But right. there's a few games where that D-line didn't wreak havoc like we needed to to see uh, a lot of uh, QB hurries or, or hits that make a big difference, right? And we still don't have that, like, pure pass rushing DN that makes a difference, right? So, I mean, right? That's the thing, Dave. We need a pass rusher... I don't care if it's a DN hand in the ground. I don't care if it's a stand-up outside linebacker. I've talked about it before with Caleb Tanner. Mm-hmm. To your point, it doesn't matter. I mean, Nico Cooper can be the guy. It could be somebody. It could be a transfer portal guy. We need guys that can naturally rush the pass. But still better than a year prior by yeah, a lot. We were, oh, yeah. On the, the, we sure. didn't lose ground from 12 months No, ago. not at all. Not at all. And, and, we didn't, and we didn't lose ground while still getting younger. That's the point you made about the D-line – Loss NFL players last year. Yeah. And we didn't get worse on no. the D-line. Mm-mm. And that, if nothing else, that's progress. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I mean, great conversation on both sides of the ball there. Um, let's uh, get out of here with some parting shots. And, uh, Honky, maybe you can lead us off with a little bit about the uh, bull pick Yeah, we, we have the bull pick out there. We, we put them on all the social media platforms that we have uh it's a little weird because games are changing throughout so i don't know how this all works i mean i think we're literally our, picking bowls well i mean i picked a game <laughs> gonna make it well, I, I picked a game a, a, a night ago and all of a sudden i think army's playing it now instead of tennessee so whatever who cares right um but it's out there it's the bowl pick them it's the dave uh, is it espn bowl pick them that is, is that correct right? yes go out there uh on our social media find it and and log in and fill it out and you know, we might have some kind of gift or something at the end of the day. Yeah, we always do. We figure something Usually out. something pretty sweet. Yeah. Aside from that, uh, parting shot-wise, uh, I have a trivia question for you guys. What head coach once made the following statement? You can take Saban's record when he was at Michigan State and he was a coach in the Big Ten and put it against mine and he can't compete. Now, you can't answer, Matt, because you're seeing it on the, on the screen, but... Uh, Dave or Boomer? Who said that? I'll say Bo Pelini. It's a good guess. No. Boomer, you got one? Gosh. It's a good question. No idea. Let's go with uh, Bob Diaco. He was a head coach. <laughs> ah, no. The answer is the great Brett Bielema. Welcome back, coach. That's <laughs> oh, um, classic. That's all I have, by the way, so you can move on. Wow, hockey's shortest parting take of the year right there. <laughs> Took him all the way to the end of the season, but he got her wrapped up in under 20. Uh, my party shot goes out to my mother. So we won a game. 
and that's always fantastic because then I get to call my mom and we do uh, victory shots. And, um, you know, she was with uh, some of my sisters and we were talking about it. And my mom is so good about recruiting for the Red Cast. So I would just like to welcome aboard uh, Bev and Dave Kudrin along with their daughter, Keisha. Oh, uh, nice. Mom said that she's, she sent them the link, which I'm proud of her if she sent them the link at all. That's great. I kind of feel like that might be a lie. But, I mean, <laughs> I feel like she might have told them about the show. And, uh, you know. Hey, uh, Redcasters, if you're out there and you're and you're sharing the show with other people, let us know. We'll be happy to welcome aboard, you know. We're all just a big family of lovable losers right now and, you know, poised to strike <laughs> back with great vengeance against all of our foes with spite and, and hatred. So, Matt, Sorry, you, wait, I, that got a little dark at the end, but uh, but you get what I'm saying. So, I mean, so if someone contacts us and says, hey, I invited, you know, so-and-so to the show, you, yeah. you would be willing each week to bring yeah. that person up. And, right. and It's a yeah. shout-out. I believe the kids are calling those shout-outs. Would they be like the red caster of the week or something, uh, you know, for, for uh, doing such a great job of bringing new yeah, people what into would you, the... Yeah, what would you, like a, the, like a, what's a good, Boomer, you're, you're a wordsmith. <laughs> what's a good name for bringing on the young red casters? Like a, come on. <laughs> Or like a, re- a recruiter, or a- oh, the Redcast recruiter of the week. I call you a woods. I call you a wordsmith. I throw it straight to you, and you say recruiter. I think he's got a point, though, Mac. <laughs> next week, next week on the Redcast, Boomer has a better response. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but hey, honestly, uh, we appreciate everybody out there that listens to the shows. But we really do, we really do love the new ones and and um, you know people we grew up with. It's always fun. All right, well, uh, Boomer, uh, what else can you throw at Mac? <laughs> well, I guess we could go with like Headhunter or something like that with Earthquake for you, Mac. Come in. I'm gonna. Let, I'll call Swobes. Don't just. We'll just. All right, we'll work on that. Okay. Anyway, I guess uh, you know the only parting shot I have this week is uh, you know it is the holiday season, so I'm in kind of a giving mood. So there's just you know kind of a gift I want to give to the uh, powers that be of college football. What I what I'm offering all of you guys is a pair of used tickets to the 1974 Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl. <laughs> Because all of you are living so much in the past and have just shown this entire year a complete inability to react to circumstances, whether it's the catastrophic nature of COVID and what it does to finances. None of your conferences were able to get together on the same page. What the college football playoff has become this year has been kind of a complete joke. I mean, we've even got Stuart Mandel revolting against what the playoff system, the quote-unquote playoff is now. You know you guys have screwed up. This is a mess. It needs to be fixed. Please do so in the next year. If there's one Christmas wish I think everyone needs, it's this can be done better than what we're doing. So enjoy that uh, tie between Houston and uh, whoever the heck. I think NC State in 1974. So that, that seems about on point for you guys. So enjoy. I was just going to ask you, Boomer, who played in the 1974 oh, Astro Bloom Bowl? Hawk, who was the head? What are the head coaches in that game? Well, that would be Lou Holtz against Bill Yeaman. Seriously, guys, you gotta go out there and score one one more point. We win this game. Fuck you! Not only got the the, the obvious choice, but both head coaches. Spin all over, Mike. How dare you talk to me that way? By the way, I, I know I love Lou Holtz, but seriously, uh, everyone knows the 1974 Blue Bible. <laughs> It's a, it's a kid's favorite. Either. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was negative too. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great conversation. I think it's the only show of the week. I don't believe the BetCast is going to 
do anything for these early bowls. Maybe, maybe Boomer and I will be joined by producer Skip and Redcast Rob next week for a um, playoff and New Year's Six special. We'll see. If not, you'll definitely see us on uh, social media giving our, our uh, predictions out. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Win the offseason. Beat national media. Pat Forty sucks. <laughs> <laughs>